Well, that's a concern. I mean, you know, you look at Apple, for example, the most valuable company, and they've been hit with their stock price over the last couple of weeks because of concerns having to do with China, whether not letting certain government officials buy iPhones or a consumer base that isn't going to spend as much money. And not only that, but where are they going to build these things? Apple is really dependent on China, both for manufacturing and to an extent, a lesser extent, but still to an extent for purchase power. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 22nd installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in Silicon Valley. My name is Mike Malone. I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman of NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, we're going to cover a lot of stuff today because it's kind of been an odd week with things popping up here and there. So first of all, let's talk about talk about the stock market. After an incredible run so far this year, all of a sudden it seems to be cooling for tech stocks. Uh, all the big ones, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, NVIDIA, all saw their pr share prices drop on Wednesday, averaging about 1.5% on uh, NASDAQ. What do you think? I mean, some people are saying it's because the Fed supposed to be good news. The Fed took a pause in these rate hikes trying to fight inflation, but they also put a light like a PS. We may bring it back up even more pretty, pretty soon, signed the Fed. And that seemed to have just flattened everything going on. What do you think? I mean, I think the market does not like uncertainty. It never has. And even if you sort of take a step back and say, wow, job growth is strong, productivity is strong. Um, there's uncertainty ahead, partially because the Fed hasn't made up its mind as to what it's going to do next. And that makes investors a little nervous. But look, we've seen tech IPOs for the first time in a while. We've seen some appetite for risk. Uh, just hours before you and I started to talk, Cisco bought Splunk for, what, $28 billion? That's a big software security play. So we're yeah. starting to see companies and VCs and even investors spend money in a slightly risky way. And I think that's positive overall, because when the purse strings open, whether on the VC side or the investor side, um, you know, it leads to growth and, and eventually hiring and, and things like that. So yeah, there's uncertainty out there, but there's also some activity that we haven't seen in a while. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the kind of mixed uh, mixed news we've been getting. Um, for one thing, let's talk about the IPOs. We, we've had a, some huge ones in the last week and a half, right? Uh, Clavo, Arm, Arm is the biggest one so far this year, uh, Instacart, and several others. And yet I note they all came out pretty good good jumps on the stock, gave it all back within about 48 hours. So, you know, it's kind of great news. We're having IPOs finally. I thought we'd forgot Silicon Valley had forgotten how to do those. So people are getting some money back. They're getting some value back, which is always exciting in the Valley because that money goes into the hands of people, a lot of them who become angels and turn around and invest again. At the same time, though, the fact that they just they took off and then fell back uh, to their you know their IPO price that says something. Uh, 
maybe things aren't as exciting as we thought they were. Moreover, well, even on the employment numbers, turns out 20% of those new jobs are government jobs. So they're just adding to the deficit in the federal debt. So I don't know how I feel right now. I'm excited that shareholders are getting some money, getting some value. And I'd love to see another boom of IPOs. But boy, this is mixed reviews. Oil prices are just climbing. And I don't see how to stop it. And, you know, there's all this stuff to worry about around the world. Germany is now the sick man of economic man of Europe. You know, the highest flying, most powerful economically country in Europe for the last 40 years is now not growing. And if you've been following China recently between typhoons and the collapse of their giant real estate companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, China's a mess. And demographically, I mean, their kindergartens are empty now because they don't have any kids. I mean, we have two of the strongest economies on earth suddenly in trouble. I mean, they're talking still in the U.S. about maybe we can do a soft landing. I mean, that always makes me load the Winchester because I don't believe it. But can you have a soft landing in this kind of chaos? I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's a lot of questions at the same time. I think just on the overall economy thing, yeah. I mean, these are economies that were suddenly struggling. I mean, this has been in the works for a long time. As for America and the soft landing, it just got a little uh, more turbulent, I think, because of those oil prices, which here in California have all of a sudden led to gas prices of six fifty a gallon. That happened within the last couple of weeks. And once again... Our economy is hurt, led by high gas prices. You know, the whole inflation thing was really led by gas prices. And as oil climbs again, both because Saudi Arabia and uh, the so in Russia cut back on production, that is hitting us at the gas pumps, and that means everybody is spending more money. Uh, you know, when they commute every day, and so yeah, that's going to hit our economy, and it may affect our soft landing. I think it's part of the reason that the Fed is sort of taking a wait and see attitude because we're starting to see these things we hadn't seen in a few months, a la high gas prices. What does that mean? That also means higher grocery prices because of the cost of transportation. So these things are going to hit us again in the pocketbook. And, uh, and, and we have to see what the result is. And does the Fed decide to move even more because of it? As for IPOs, let me say that's a different picture. I think those were a really good sign. It means they were priced perfectly. It means investors had a nice liquidity event and they got a lot of money for the work they put in. And now we'll see where Instacart deserves to trade on the market. We'll see where Clavio deserves to trade, Arm, et cetera. These are companies that just made a whole lot of money for their investors. That's good news. Now they can move forward as publicly traded companies with more money in the bank. And I think the way they did it was really smooth and not with these outlandish valuations that suddenly crashed. It was like, all right, they went public. Maybe other companies will do it. I think that's a strong sign for our economy, but we're going to have to battle those high gas prices because those are going to come down to us consumers. What about the increasingly lo increasing loss of some of our biggest markets in the world? Well, that's a concern. I mean, you know, you look at Apple, for example, the most valuable company, and they've been hit with their stock price over the last couple of weeks because of concerns having to do with China, whether not letting certain government officials buy iPhones, 
or a consumer base that isn't going to spend as much money. And not only that, but where are they going to build these things? Apple is really dependent on China, both for manufacturing and to an extent, a lesser extent, but still to an extent for purchase power. And if that economy gets hit, also another big one like Germany, like you say, uh, it affects the selling power of American companies. Certainly, it's a flat earth and everybody sells to everyone. And, uh, you know, I don't know the bottom line yet, but in an economy where people have been buying for quite some time, if that slows down, that's going to hit the bottom line of these companies. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious why Apple, we've noted this before, why Apple's taken so long to bail out of China. I mean, there's a lot of companies, American companies over there that left a year ago. And Apple, I mean, aren't they getting the message that you can't buy an iPhone over there? I mean, it's, it's still legal, but if you have anything to do with the government, you can't have an iPhone. Uh, yeah, and that's... increasingly Tesla too, you can't drive a Tesla over there. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, and they're saying it's yeah. because of privacy and concerns, but really there's a lot of geopolitical stuff going on here and oh, sure. it's getting frosty, the relationship between the two countries. And that is how that relationship plays out in the modern era. Fortunately, not militarily, but instead with business and, you know, eventually cyber attacks and all that stuff. But it is playing out in a frosty way over the products that we've been selling. And yeah, I, I don't know how far this goes. Apple just came out with a new phone. It's already selling in China. Um, when those numbers come out, are they going to be less than they usually see with a new product launch? I don't yeah. know. Well, Huawei has come out with some competitive stuff that the Chinese government, if they want to keep the business at home, they now have a competitor out to Apple. So we'll see. By the way, did you now that they're discounted, did you get your uh, iPhone 14? Yes, exactly. You can get the iPhone 14 as I well, talk about you, you. You always do it right after they announce a new one. Did you get a new one? I did. I did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I did. Good for you. I think you're the, probably the smartest consumer in Silicon Valley. We reporters have to be thrifty. We do. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I, I don't think you feel that cultural need to have the newest iPhone in front of you when you sit down at Pete's or Starbucks so everybody can can swoon looking at you with envy. That's true. But you know what? And it's interesting you bring that up, Mike. I, I was aware of that as I was at the Apple event thinking, if I don't get the 15, I mean, they're starting to all kind of look alike. Granted, okay, one's titanium. That's a nice look. But because of the fact that we have covers on our phones for safety and all that stuff, it's hard to tell who has what phone. It's no longer that sort of status thing. A lot of them look very similar. If we do use phone cases, which I recommend as someone <laughs> who usually knocks a phone against a wall or whatever, um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a homogenous thing where we know you've yeah. got a smartphone, but we don't know, and really we don't care which one you have. Apple's gonna have to start really differentiating that package like a hexagonal phone or a parallelogram or something like that. So they can they can provide the status conscious with something that sets them apart. iPhone okay, 17, you... parallelogram, Max Pro. I can see it. <laughs> uh, um, in the last couple of days, the Federal Trade Commission has named three Amazon execs in a lawsuit. I'm sure you read about this. It claims the company's practice was to get people to unwittingly or to unwittingly sign up people to Amazon Prime. And then make it really complicated, like a, like a 
two-point type Sanskrit note at the bottom how and to show you how to quit Apple Prime. And you know, I checked with my wife and I said, did we sign up for Amazon Prime? And she said, no, it was just sort of there one day. So, you know, maybe I'm part of this, maybe I'll be part of a giant class action suit. What do you think about this? It is weird how Amazon Prime just sort of appeared and all of us seem to have adopted it out of the blue. I mean, was this actually a secret campaign by Amazon worthy of the FTC's uh, investigation? Well, I mean, the FTC, as we know in its current form with Lena Khan, has it in for Amazon. I mean, she oh, got yeah. to where she is because of fighting against Amazon and its gigantic practices. We're also seeing it go against Google now with antitrust. Um, you know, I think I'm going to I think we are going to see more of these because companies have been trying to coast on, you know, I don't want to say illegal things, but things like this that somehow float under the radar. And, you know, yeah. you and your wife are just an example of many, I'm sure, where it's like, hey, how did we get Amazon Prime? I don't know. Did you sign up for it? And yet here it is and you're paying for it. And, you know, Wells Fargo got hit with this for opening those accounts without people yeah. knowing these tech companies are are sneaking things in, perhaps, and good for the FTC for smelling them out, sniffing them out, and um, and and you know snapping back against them because there's a lot of money if you sign up for all these things, or <laughs> as the case may be, don't sign up for all these things but still get charged for them. Yeah, and you know, it is the impetus behind almost every tech company in the world. You got to monetize your services, and you got to constantly upgrade that to monetize it still further. I mean, it's not like even if even if Amazon loses this and these guys get fined a lot or something, Amazon's not going to stop. I mean, look at Meta. Meta's been trying to monetize its service for 20 years and they get caught every once in a while. Doesn't stop them for an hour. They're already working on the next one. I mean, I don't think that these companies are going to be deferred from doing this or deterred from doing this by the Fed stepping in every once in a while and charging them a few million bucks in a fine. Well, I agree, but still, a reputation is a reputation. There is a reason not a lot of people give Meta their money. And it's because, partially, we've gotten used to using Instagram and Facebook, et cetera, without paying for it, but also there is a lack of trust. With Amazon, we do shop online, and we're used to that. Look at Spotify. Spotify is something a lot of people willingly shell out, you know, 15 bucks a month for. Same with Netflix, because we know what we're going to get. There's, They don't have to sneak these things. We know we're going to get it, and therefore, they provide something we like, and bam. And then they hit you with something else. Hey, here's some podcasts. Here's some documentaries. Amazon is trying to monetize Prime by saying, it's not just shipping. Okay, now it's not just shipping and music. Okay, it's not just shipping music and movies. We're even going to buy NFL Thursday Night Football and stream that for Amazon Prime. So they're trying to give you more reasons to cough up the money. And if they do it honestly, hey, respect. You either do or you don't and and just do it honestly. And, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, the truth is, if they had told me, I would have signed up because I actually like Amazon Prime. I watch it on use it for TV. I love the fact stuff comes really fast to my front door, especially, you know, with school and everything, you want that textbook now. And I had no, I have no objection. I'm not going to quit it, but it is chicken shit to try to do this to us all the time, I have to admit. And we're going to get to 
Elon in a minute talking about monetizing here. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But in the meantime, long as we're kind of on Elon, uh, SpaceX, you saw that uh, the DOJ brought that lawsuit against SpaceX because it wasn't hiring uh, refugees and people without U.S. citizenship. And now SpaceX has sued the DOJ saying, we're not supposed to because of defense stuff and security and all that. How do you think this is going to pan out? Um, I don't know. I think there are far, far larger things that um, are in the frying pan that Elon Musk has to deal with both legally and, and <laughs> even ethically. Uh, but it's interesting to say that the DOJ sues for that and SpaceX turned right around and say, hey, we're we're both government agencies. Neither of us, neither us nor the DOJ can do what we're being sued for. So yeah. I don't know how long this lasts or if this really sticks. It's one thing to say that a company like Tesla has discriminatory practices. Let's say I can, I can see you can sue a company like that. I just don't know if you can sue a company that works for the government. And, and that's maybe we'll learn something of this. Maybe this will be precedent setting. Who knows? But their initial firing back was to say, hey, we, like the DOJ, have standards that we can't violate. Okay. Uh, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal Thursday. You know, everyone's talking about we got to get rid of TikTok and it's bad for our kids and it's a security problem with China and all that. Heard anything about that lately? No, it's all gotten real quiet. And apparently there's an American billionaire named Jeff Yass. And he has donated $61 million to the Republican Club for Growth, uh, which is which up until about four months ago was a leading opponent of TikTok and wanted out of the country. Now they've become in support, come out in support of TikTok, showing our government at work. Uh, apparently now the argument is, you know, it's better to have them inside the tent or something like that, that all of a sudden TikTok's kind of okay we can live with tiktok what do you think i mean it's just politics and buying legislative lawmakers as usual or is anything valid in the argument that, that there's some kind of word in this country I, to tiktok yeah it's a lot of people right i, I think this means you know, jo jobs and money and all that stuff but is that a valid argument um i don't know i mean you can you can say it's a valid argument but um you can also say it's a valid argument to be concerned that TikTok may be taking our data and giving it to the Chinese government, which is what they used to be saying until the money started to change hands. But look, the big story around TikTok is, does it unlock, I mean, potentially a trillion or two dollars in value in the public markets while still being owned by a Chinese company? And that's the big question I think TikTok is still going to want to somehow separate itself so that it can go onto the public markets and unlock all that value for employees and shareholders, et cetera. In the meantime, it's it's chugging along doing fine. It's it's a search juggernaut. It's an advertising juggernaut. It's certainly a social juggernaut. But uh, there is a whole lot of money waiting in the wings. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that you can unlock that if it's still owned by a Chinese company. And why haven't they done that yet? That's the... $2 trillion question in my mind. Right. And, and they've got to be thinking in the back of their mind, look at MySpace. I mean, look at even Facebook. These things have a cycle where they're the, you know, the kids love it, but kids are fickle. 
and they'll move on to the next thing. And I and I've, I'm already seeing you know the all the new stuff on YouTube, the short format stuff, which is a direct competitor. I mean, I would think if, if TikTok wanted to get their money out, they'd be doing it right now. I mean, for all we know, the American part of TikTok is trying to push up against ByteDance and say, we want to split off and yeah. take this to the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. And maybe uh, ByteDance is saying, no, we don't want to lose all that value or, or instead just be shareholders instead of owners. I, I really don't know how it would work, but um, I can't imagine that there are not lawyers right now trying to figure out an amicable sort of split. Uh, you know, I don't know if you would call it a divorce necessarily, maybe like what Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin did, you know, the, what do they call yeah. it? The, uh, some sort of an amicable separation, um, to say we are separate, but somehow you still get paid. I, I don't know how to do it, but if they really want to unlock all that money, they have to, to do something like that. Well, at some point they'd have to file with the SEC to create new financial instruments and, incorporation and all sorts of stuff before they could even consider an IPO. So that's got to be a year or two process. I mean, it seems to me they're taking a lot of risk if they're going to try to do it. And they should have started the moment Congress turned on them. They should have been looking at doing this. And I have I don't see any footprints in the sand as suggests they've gone down that path. So we'll see. OK, finally, because we got to do it every week, I guess. Elon. Okay, it's, uh, Elon's obviously been in the news a lot. You know his his battle with uh, uh, you know the, the various Jewish associations, his meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu, where they talked about First Amendment freedoms, and Elon said, "No, I would. Not, I'm not anti-Semitic. I I want free speech for everybody." <clears throat> okay, in the middle of that conversation, it apparently slipped out that Elon wants to charge a small fee to uh, Twitter X users. And the argument was not that I want to make my, <laughs> make my misspent money back but and, and create a, a major revenue stream, but in his argument was we, got, we, we need to stop all the bots that are overwhelming X. And the way to do it is to charge a fee because these bots – you know, they proliferate and they, this would be enormous sums of money they'd have to pay to continue participating in X, unlike an individual. Do you buy that argument? Is it valid? But is it still not completely valued, valid that he has a hidden hidden goal and that is to make his money back on, on X? It's so hard to say because when it comes to making the money back, I mean, just decision after decision seems to be torpedoing that. You know, it's an advertising-based company. And so he goes on record as saying, I'm going to accept content that will absolutely send advertisers fleeing for the hills because First Amendment free speech is that important. Okay, if it's that important, stop talking about money. You're yeah. burning it by the hundreds of millions by allowing the content that you allow onto the site and even encouraging the content and promoting that content. There's no way advertisers want to be anywhere near that. He knows that it's him burning money by the pound. And then to say, well, I'll charge for it. Um, while there are a lot of competitors, TikTok, Threads, Meta, 
Instagram, etc., etc., that don't charge, that also is going to send people leaving. If the people go away, advertising goes away again. I just don't think uh, that he's willing to do what it takes to make money on Twitter. And we've seen that social media sites that police themselves and keep away some of the offensive content do better. They attract more people. They attract more intelligent discussion. And yes, they make more money. But you have to be willing to keep hate speech away. If he's not because of some ideological, you know, what he thinks is free speech, um, he's going to lose money. And that's that's just one of those maxims. If you lose people, advertisers stay away, you'll lose money. And I, I don't think he's quite come to grips with this. Even listening to Walter Isaacson, the biographer, because the Musk biography came out, say, wow, this guy knows a lot about rockets. Boy, does he know a lot about electric cars. When it comes to dealing with people and getting their money and social interactions, he's terrible. And that is why Twitter is struggling. And it just is, seems to be, you know, point after point, the wrong business for him to be involved in. Okay. Is there a price point, though, that he could do, he could choose to charge Twitter users that is low enough that they won't jump to, you know, Threads, which is a ghost town pretty much, or, uh, and at the same time, make it high enough that bored racists and, and other folks won't want to pay to just put their hate on on the site. I don't know. And the problem would be Twitter, which stands out against all of the other even larger social media sites as being where you go when news breaks. Right. Do journalists stick around. I mean, am I willing to pay for Twitter as an individual? I don't think so. And I say this as someone who has a bigger audience on Twitter than I do on television. So yeah. if I'm not staying, why would anyone stay? And would I go to my boss and say, hey, why don't you pay for all of us each month to be on Twitter? And they'd say, but you know, your job is to do news for, for television. And yes, we can sort of go back and forth. I just don't know who would be willing to pay as opposed to saying, go on the free sites and just do a better job of getting the message out there, which is a legitimate thing to say. I, I honestly don't know who would pay other than the blue check mark people that are already paying and those are really big fans of Elon Musk. And he does fine at getting money from them. I might disagree with you. I think some media employers might say, I got 100 people that I want to have access to, to Twitter on. 10 bucks a month, 1,000 bucks a month. You know, that's less than the receptionist is making. I can do this for my people, especially somebody like you. When you have a major story, you can get a million people looking at you. That's got to help at the station, too. I mean, it, it's your name that gives your name a very high profile out there. And I've seen it happen in real time for you. I mean, it seems to me it's worth it for an employer to take care of key people that have that kind of an audience like you do. No, I'd like to think you're right. I'd like to think you're right for us. I'd like to think you're right for The New York Times, for The Atlantic, for all of those things um, to say Let's stay here because it is a go-to place for news. And we do need to reach out to younger people in a broader audience. But again, I just don't know. Um, but maybe those discussions are starting to happen already uh, as Musk is threatening to charge everybody. And uh, right. yeah, it would be great to have no bots. Uh, I just worry about would we be you know, reaching the same amount of people? I, I don't know. 
Interesting question. Okay, as long as we're on Musk and Walter Isaacson, uh, he's had to walk back a claim that it's gotten a lot of attention because, you know, Walter, I know Walter, actually, and uh, nice Southern gentleman, has had a heck of a career, Time, CNN. He's a professor at Tulane, bestsellers like Steve Jobs and Franklin and all that. He's had to walk back this uh, claim he makes in the book that uh, Elon use Starlink to, uh, he turned off Starlink so as to help the Russians. Uh, and he's come back with what he, you know, apparently counterfactual that says, no, that isn't the case. Uh, what do you think? I mean, it was all about the, that the uh, uh, Ukrainians had a shot at destroying the Russian fleet in Crimea. And supposedly uh, Starlink was turned off. But Elon says that was, that was what I was supposed to do, is not provide that kind of aid, because that would be an act of war. What do you think? Well, I, I've heard Isaacson talk on, on the talk shows, and I believe him. He says that uh, he had initially thought Musk said he had turned it off ahead of that um, advancement by Ukraine. Uh, but what he really meant was he just he didn't turn it on. And that is a big difference, obviously. And Isaacson said, I, I believe Musk. And so he made the correction. And, and I believe Isaacson. Um, and so, you know, I, but it gets to a larger issue. I mean, should Elon Musk have control over, you know, these advancements and, um, you know, to to everybody's credit, there is now a version of Starlink that the government controls and that Musk does not control and that that's sort of out there on the field of battle. Uh, so if any good did come from this, it's, it's that that delineation happened uh, because, right, I mean, Musk is powerful in a lot of ways, some deserve it, but some where he just shouldn't be that powerful, uh, especially when it comes to what the U.S. military or our allies do. And it seems like the lesson from this is Starlink has been sort of split up to the point where Musk is not controlling the movements and, and you know, of, of troops out in the field. And that makes sense. Did they, did the DOD build their, their new system off of Starlink? I mean, do they license the technology or something? It sounds like I can't help thinking, yeah, yeah like I can't help thinking we wouldn't we wouldn't have any of this if Elon hadn't given us Starlink. You know, I mean it's it's his creation, his company. Right. So Right. Oh no, no, okay. I, mean, I get it. It's he's creating a lot of things and that's great, but but right. Is it is it right that he would control whether or not these troops can can maneuver and, and detect the enemy? Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that yeah. That's a very interesting point. Uh, I feel bad for Walter. I mean, he writes this gigantic book and he's got such a sterling guilt edge reputation that just mishearing one little thing has now been blown up into a national story. I hope it blows over for him quick. Um, we mentioned Elon's glass house in uh, in Texas. And, and that's been, the, this whole episode seems to be more about lawfare than innovation or the high-tech business world. But now we've got the um, uh, Justice Department is investigating Elon about the house and having employees help build it. And Elon says, I don't even have a glass house. I'm living in a 320 square, square foot apartment. Um, and now the uh, it's New York, isn't it? New York office. The prosecutors are now calling for all of his past records going back years and years i mean is this law or is this politics 
Elon's made some big enemies. And all of a sudden we're starting to see, seems like the federal government, the, the prosecutorial portions, federal government are pursuing paths that we haven't seen a lot in the past. What do you think? I don't know what to think. I don't know if he has a glass house. I don't care if he has a glass house. I want clean cars. I want a strong space program. Um, I want to get the message out on social media in a fair, unbiased manner where I'm not surrounded by hate speech. Uh, I'm not worried about where the man lives. I'm sorry. I just You may say you're a dreamer, but you're not the only one. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Yeah, exactly. good luck. Good luck, Scott. <laughs> uh, I hope someday you'll join us. Yes. And finally, another another Elon thing. Is he growing a beard? I mean, are got you this weird me? stubble thing going like a 22-year-old trying to grow a beard for the first time. And, you know, one of my rules is when you see a man change his facial hair, it's because he wants to change another part of his life and he can't do it. He's frustrated. And that's why it, and it, it turns out to be a fairly true uh, maxim, at least in my experience, you see a guy grow a beard, grow a mustache, shave off the beard, shave off the mustache. She wants to change his life. Don't ask me what I think of this. Look, I cover tech for a living and I'm up against it. You are far more obsessed with this man than I could ever be. And I'm not going to talk facial hair. I have no idea of that guy's personal life. And you uh, can't do it on, you can't do it as a TV reporter anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, People are fixated on how many kids he has. Is he building a glass house? I, there are just so many more substantial things in this world than than that. I uh, We need to separate the wheat from the chaff on what we follow Musk for. Yeah, I don't think that's possible in the 21st century. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage, as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Scott, enjoy your iPhone 14. <laughs> have, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.